The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. I want to say thanks again for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us. Thanks for keeping your mask on. Uh, no, nobody enjoys these things, but we'll do this so that we can gather, so that we can honor those in authority over us. So if you're new to TBC, as I said before, my name's Chase, and we, uh, we have a teaching team at TBC. Gary was a senior pastor here, and, and about 12 years ago, brought a guy from Britain um, named Stephen. He was here, and we launched him out. He planted a church in Manhattan. He was part of the team, and then Dave Tate and I uh, were part of that team with Gary, and, and now Dave Tate, who's back in the back, he's a good-looking guy with a mask on, and uh, he, uh, he's part of our team, and then Tim Cartwright, and then myself, and then we have uh, other guys up who can bring the word as well. Um, but it's, it's so interesting. We love doing this together. Um, it's one of our values as community, and we're from all kinds of different places. Dave grew up in, in Virginia. Tim grew up in Philadelphia, and most people can tell from my accent. I grew up in New York City, and, uh, and we, uh, I, I grew up in Southeast Texas, uh, and we love being together. And what we do at TBC usually is we just teach through books of the Bible. These uh, books that were written by lots of different authors but carry this unifying theme that Jesus is Lord. So over the last year, we've gone through a series on the life of, of Abraham. Um, and then this summer, we spent time in the Psalms. And now we're about to start 30 weeks in 1 Corinthians. So you can turn to 1 Corinthians 1 if you'd like to do that. Is today um, we talk about a broken church. Corinth was perhaps the largest city in Greece in the Roman Empire. It was the most urbane and cultured city of the time. It was a travel center, a trade center. There were lots and lots of people there, Roman freedmen from all over the place. And you can kind of see on the map, it's not really far from Athens at all, but seafarers would come there to this city and there's really this collision of worlds going on in Corinth. People from all over the Roman Empire and then there are Gentiles and then Jews and all kinds of practices happening. It was a melting pot of people and as a melting pot of people, as you can imagine, it was filled with immorality and filled with idolatry. So this melting pot full of idols and, and immoral people was really probably nothing like America today, right? And, and Paul is going to plant a church in Corinth. The term to be Corinthianized was not a compliment. It was to influence someone toward immorality. So if somebody said, hey, that guy's a Corinthian or that girl's a Corinthian, it was not a compliment, and above the city here, as you kind of look at, at this photo, you see this wall of a castle. And this is a 17th century Venetian castle, but they're kind of right in the middle on this point that's closest to the center. There are the ruins of Aphrodite's temple, this false god um, who's a god of sensuality, sexuality. And the prostitutes from Aphrodite's temple would descend on the city with all kinds of immorality. Men sleeping with women, men sleeping with men, women sleeping with women, even women and men sleeping with children. So there are some ways in the Roman Empire that Corinth seemed like the life of the party, but really the people of Corinth, 
They were like a temple and ruins and they needed a new foundation. So Paul, on the missionary journey he's on, he's in Philippi, he sees people come to faith in Philippi, he goes into Thessalonica, preaches the gospel there, and they're upset, and they say, these people have come here who are turning the world upside down. They beat Paul, drag him out of the city, leave him for dead. He goes to Berea, where there are people of more noble character. They examine the scriptures. After he's in Berea, he goes to Athens, and then he ends up in Corinth. Then he comes to Corinth, He finds a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. These are gonna be partners in ministry with him. They're all tent makers. That's kind of what they do as a profession. And so Paul goes into the synagogue, as was his practice, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Acts 18.5 says, Paul always ministered with a team of people. And so Silas, Silas and Timothy, they're kind of his right-hand guys and It says, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said, your blood be on your hands, I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. So Paul goes to the Gentiles and a lot of people began to trust Christ and follow him. Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. You might wanna notice that they were baptized. That's gonna come up in our text in 1 Corinthians. So Paul sees a lot of people trust Christ and then the Lord says to Paul, Acts 18, 9, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. I am with you. No one will attack you or harm you. I have many in this city who are my people. So he stayed a year and six months, a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them and this church is planted. But then the proconsul comes and he unites the Jews to make an attack on Paul. So Paul leaves and returns to Antioch where his mission started. See, people came to Jesus and the church began, but so much of the church, as we read in 1 Corinthians, becomes overwhelmed by so much in society. They have desire for power and wealth that leads to division, self-interest, self-focused agendas, power grabs among the people. David Platt says it this way, the problem wasn't that the church was in Corinth, but that Corinth was in the church. The problem wasn't so much that the church was in Corinth, but that so much of Corinth had gotten into the church. And then Apollos, as Paul leaves, Apollos, this teacher of the word comes and he's in Corinth when Paul is in Macedonia. So this is a broken body. Similar to Corinth, we have pressure to have power, influence, status, wealth, gain, to keep up with others, Parents are running and doing like chauffeurs in the day before COVID hits. And sometimes we're running after really good things and sometimes we're running after really bad things, but all these things are created things. None of these things are God. They make great gifts, but they're awful objects of worship. So the question as we look at 1 Corinthians 1, as we really begin our series, is how do we unite around Jesus Christ when there is so much division in culture? How do we, the people of God, unite around Jesus Christ when there's so much division in culture? There's divisions along generational lines, divisions around the length of time you've been in the States, divisions among races, among single and married, among 
public school, private school, and homeschool families. There's divisions among those from Texas, A&M, Baylor, Tech, TCU, and let's not even mention that school from the state to the north of us. There are those who wear khakis and those who wear jeans, and we haven't even started talking about politics yet. I don't know if y'all have heard, it's an election year. You might not know that. See, we will divide over just about anything. And everything we see in 1 Corinthians will be counterculture and it will press on all sides. We're gonna read the first nine verses. We'll end up going through verse 17. But in the first nine verses, really, you can kind of see an introduction to the book. So Paul begins like this. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes, Sosthenes is helping him write, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you are enriched in him in all speech, all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, we thank you that by your grace, you've called us into fellowship with your son. God, we thank you that you've enriched us like you did the church in Corinth with all speech and all knowledge. Lord, we want testimony about Jesus to be confirmed in our lives. God, we want you to gift us for your glory and sustain us guiltless to the end. Would you do that, Lord, in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, these nine verses are not nine verses just to skip over as intro, though you might be tempted to do that because they really give us a foundation of the book and they teach us truth. Paul starts really in verse two, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, these are people who are dividing over really silly things. He's gonna talk to them about this in just a little bit. They're arguing with one another. They, they're struggling with idolatry. They're suing one another. They're immoral. They struggle with identity in Christ. And he says, to those sanctified in Jesus. And that just doesn't speak to the love of God for us. These are people who are being transformed by the power of the gospel, even as they wrestle against their own sins. And then he says the most remarkable thing to those called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. To those called to be saints. So there's doctrine there that we've got to understand. Some of you, I, I grew up in a, in a denomination kind of similar, but not exactly the same. Some of you grew up in denominations where saints were just a special few. Not every Christian was called to be a saint. These were people who had done something really, really amazing, but we don't get our understanding of what a saint is from a tradition or a decree. We get it from scripture. Saints are people set apart by God for God. 
They're people set apart by God for God, those called to be saints, the sanctified, set apart by God for God, together with all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you're called to be a saint. If I'm a Christian, I'm called to be a saint both their Lord and ours. These are people who have been and are being reconstructed by Jesus Christ. They're no longer this broken temple in ruins, but they're a temple to the living God. He says, grace and peace to you. And he's going to challenge this church. He's going to rebuke this church. He's gonna question at times in my vernacular, what in the world are you doing? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to watch in verses really about four through eight to see what Paul is gonna do. He reminds them of what God has done in them and what he is doing. God saved, transformed, gifted, and sustained them by his grace and for his glory. Saved, transformed, gifted, and sustained them by his grace and for his glory. The work of Christ on the cross was finished for the church in Corinth. But the work of the Spirit was not So Paul says in verse four, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. I give thanks for you because you have been saved by Jesus. He's calling them believers, the grace of God that was given to you by Christ Jesus. So they've been saved that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. They've been transformed They've been transformed. He's not only changed their understanding, they've been enriched in knowledge. He's changed their language. And oh, how we need our language to be changed. Some of us, the very words that we say, some of us, the tones that we speak. Verses, or chapter two is really gonna talk about how how we've been given the mind of Christ. We can understand spiritual things. Our mind, our understanding has been changed. The end of chapter one is gonna talk about our boast in Jesus. He says, you've been enriched in speech and knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Really, chapters five through 11 are gonna talk about this testimony of Christ and how they're struggling with sin and how their lives need to be transformed all the more that the work of Jesus will be confirmed among them as they're shaped by the power of the gospel. And he says, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapters 12 through 14 are gonna talk about the gifts and how they're used in the body for God's glory. They're not lacking in any spiritual gift. God has gifted each one of us who are in Christ for his glory. He's given gifts to us. Sometimes we get confused about what those are and we kind of declare what our own gifts are. But really the church, God's people, affirm what our gifts are. If we could just say what our gifts are, what I would do is have, have myself not have the gift of service and have everybody around me have it every day. I would really, really enjoy that. But that's not how that works. And you might not have the gift, that you want, but God's gifted you in a way that's best for the body of Christ. And if you don't have the gift of evangelism, you still gotta share the gospel. You don't have the gift of service. We're still called to serve and we serve one another in love. We fulfill the law of Christ. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. Some of us really, really 
need the gift of encouragement. He's gifted you in every way so that you're not lacking anything. And then, then verse eight, he says, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, chapters five through 11, kind of about that confirming the testimony, moving away from idolatry into deeper understanding of Christ. And then chapters 12 through 14 are, are talking about the gifts in the body. And then chapter 15 really shows that the resurrected Jesus will sustain us to the end and he won't just sustain us but he's gonna raise us up with him. This book is just so rich with truth from God's word. So God saved, transformed, gifted, and sustained them by his grace, for his glory, and God saves and transforms and gifts and sustains us, his people today, by his grace and for his glory, just like the church in Corinth. The work of Christ, if you are in Christ, the work of Christ on the cross is finished on your behalf. You're saved. No one can take you out of the Father's hand. No one can take me out of the Father's hand. But the work of the Spirit is not. He's still at work in us and will be at work in us, conforming us into the image of Christ, making us a people who are surrendered as long as we're alive. Paul says, Paul says God's done this work in them and he says in verse nine, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says God sent Jesus, he's faithful and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you've been called into fellowship with his son and then he makes a shift. He's been beginning to talk about the problems when we start in verse 10. He says, because God is faithful, he called us into fellowship with his son. And by the way, that's what eternal life is. Jesus said in John 17, three, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then Paul makes an appeal to them. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you hear that language in scripture, you better know this is a really, really big deal. I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. I appeal to you, this is what I wanna ask you in the name of Jesus, that you agree that there be no divisions. There were divisions. And the reason that Paul wanted there to be no divisions among them is because Jesus died and rose both to bring us to God, but also to bring us together. He died so that we would be brought to God, but also so that we would be brought together. And we in the West tend to get this idea that Jesus died to bring us to God, but sometimes we forget that he died to bring us together. Unity is really, really important to Jesus in scripture. It's really, really important throughout the text. It really, really matters so much so that the night before he died, Jesus said, this is how people are gonna know if you're my disciples, by your love for one another. By your love for one another. He died and was raised to bring us to God and bring us together. And he goes on, why does he say that he wants you to be united in the same mind, in the same judgment, no divisions? Verse 11, for the third time in the book, he uses this phrase, among you. You're gonna see that 15 times in 1 Corinthians and he's tying them together in Christ and he's shocked 
For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. There is quarreling among you, my brothers. When I hear that, I go, well, what do you mean, Paul? What does he mean there's quarreling? And he answers that. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Well, wait a second, aren't we supposed to follow Christ? Why would he say that? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? See, many were saved. We read in Acts 18 and baptized. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you're baptized in my name. Oh, I, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. See, what happened in Corinth and what was happening in the church is that people would follow teachers and they would have pride in who they were following and then it led to faction. So in Corinth, people would follow around these philosophers. They might follow Plato or they might follow Aristotle or they might follow Socrates and they would brag about it. And in the church, they're doing the same thing. Well, I, was, I mean, I was baptized by Paul. Who are you baptized by? You're baptized by that guy from Deweyville, Texas with a bad accent. There is no hope for you. You're baptized by Tim Cartwright, that guy from Philadelphia. Oh, my goodness. I was baptized by Apollos. See, they would just brag about the factions that they ran. And he says, there shouldn't be these divisions among you. See, they knew great teachers, but they didn't really understand the teaching, right? They didn't have love. Sometimes that's the case, and then sometimes there are just some great teachers who aren't really loving. And what we end up doing is we end up following these people. We could very much, very easily just go, well, I follow Chandler, I follow Chan, or I follow Keller, or I follow MacArthur, or I follow Piper, or I follow this guy, or I follow this person. But see, what Paul, I think, wants them to hear is that if your doctrine is right, but your love is wrong, then your doctrine is wrong. It's from Rachel Gilson. If your doctrine is right, but your love is wrong, your doctrine is wrong. Or said another way, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What Paul wants the Corinthians to understand is that disunity is one of the primary marks of a broken church. It's one of the primary marks of a broken church. God's heart for the unity of his people is written throughout the New Testament. The only way you can escape it is if you try to ignore it. He just wants us to love one another. He wants us to be together. There's this time my, my son and I love the Lord of the Rings books and movies and there's this moment in the Lord of the Rings, one of the, one of the books, one of the movies where there are these groups, the elves, the dwarves, the men, they don't always get along but there's this fierce enemy that they are facing and, and in this moment, 
They come together, the elves, the dwarves, the men, and then the eagles, they come together to defeat an enemy they could not defeat on their own. And so in Corinth, there are people who are coming from a a very Jewish background. There are people coming from a very Gentile background. There are people coming from somewhere in between. There are people who've been worshiping awful false gods. There are people who are worshiping the law. They're a broken body. And Paul says, what are you doing? Declaring this, the even going, well, I follow Christ. They're boasting or bragging. All these other people have it wrong, but I have it right. Well, there's a place where Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. But it's really not about me being able to boast that I'm right or that I've got Christianity figured out to the degree that we would do that. We actually don't. And I think the message Paul would give them is that don't, don't follow people, follow Jesus with people. And that happens through the local church. Don't follow people, follow Jesus with people. So our core values that you'll hear over and over and over at TBC are surrender to Jesus, authentic biblical community, and then sacrificial missional living. Well, we surrender to Jesus together value community, but community's not the end. We are a community on mission, so We don't follow people, but we follow Jesus with people. Well, some of these people are tying it to baptism. They're tying it to baptism so they might say, well, I've got favor if I was baptized by this guy. I'm honored if I was baptized by this guy. But, But listen, Jesus doesn't save us and he doesn't sustain us because we are amazing. Jesus saves us and sustains us because he is amazing. Baptism matters, but not as much as preaching the gospel. What do we believe about baptism at TBC? We believe in baptism by immersion for those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. So for us, what that looks like, just to make sure there's clear understanding is that if you're 10 or over and you've trusted Christ, And we would love for your baptism to be your public profession of faith in him. We believe that by water baptism, a believer is publicly identified with our Savior in his death, burial, resurrection. And it's not a condition of salvation. So maybe you've trusted Christ, but you've never followed him in baptism. We'll have some baptisms coming up. It's a great opportunity for you to share about what Christ has done in you. Maybe you've come to college, you trusted Christ years ago or months ago, but you've never followed him in baptism. Shannon is around to talk to about what it means to follow Jesus in baptism. Three things really quick about baptism. Baptism is a step of surrender. It's a step of surrender where we're publicly identified when we're buried with Christ under the water and we're raised symbolically to this new life we're walking in. There are lots of countries in the world where to be baptized means to leave your family. They'll never speak to you again. You're gonna lose your job and it'll be hard to find another one. It's to be buried to your old identity and raised to your new one. It's a step of surrender. It's a symbol of God's grace in you that Jesus who died and rose from the dead is alive in you and baptism is a symbol of that. And then number three, it is a step of surrender. It is a symbol of God's grace. It is not essential for salvation. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. See, Paul came to preach 
the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Some of you have never believed the gospel. You've never put your trust in Jesus. And right now, just very simply, you can ask, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Would you save me? Would you be my king? I wanna put my life in your hands. And maybe in your heart right now, you would do that to trust Christ. Baptism would be a step of surrender after that. What's the message of the introduction to this broken body in Corinth? Jesus' body was torn apart so that we might not be. Jesus' body was torn apart so that we might not be. He was torn apart to bring us to God and to bring us together. So our prayer as we study this broken body that is going to be transformed by the broken body of Jesus is that we would be broken over our sin and raised up as an unbroken people when Jesus comes. Well, God, we humble ourselves before you and we thank you, God, for your grace that is alive in us. And Father, we thank you that Jesus' body was torn apart so that we might not be. And God, we pray that your grace would sustain us, that it would enrich us, that you would gift us, that you would be faithful as we walk in fellowship with your son and one another, united of the same mind, the same heart, arm in arm for the sake of the gospel. And let our boast be in Jesus and in him alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.